two services. I can't help myself. I have to do it one more time. Um, they don't play and lead us in worship for applause, but I just want to express my gratitude to all you guys for leading us in worship. Thank you so much. Thank you. During, uh, during the 9 o'clock service, we did that, and then we just prayed and went and had breakfast. So it just seemed like the right thing to do. Um, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. I'm not going to preach that long, but we're going to start in the morning and we'll finish in the afternoon. Thank you guys so much. So a couple things. Um, as I shared at the 9 o'clock service about the worship team, you know, what makes them great at leading worship is not because they're great singers or great musicians, but because they have a heart of worship. And uh, we're very fortunate to be led by people that have good hearts and can lead us so well. So thankful for them. Pastor Dave is back. He was gone for two weekends. Um, might be a big deal to you, but for me it's just a huge deal. I'm just a little bit of a in shambles without my Pastor Dave. So, oh, he's here. Dave, I love you. I'm so glad he's back. He got in Friday from his two-week trip out in Florida. And um, you guys are very fortunate. Dave will be preaching next weekend services. I'll be gone, as you know. Um, and Dave will be preaching on Psalm 39. And uh, I won't be here. I'm sorry I'll, I'll miss that. But I love you very much, Pastor Dave, and glad you're home. Um, after Dave preaches next weekend, uh, we're leaving on Tuesday for uh, London to go see my daughter. And we'll only be gone a week, and then we'll come back, but I won't be preaching that following weekend either, two weeks from uh, this weekend. Uh, Rob Selleck will be preaching, and I'm really, really, I'll be here, and I'm excited because it's been about a year since Rob's uh, preached, and um, you thought I had a lot of energy. Uh, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to that. Um, yeah, and then I'm back in the pulpit after Pastor Dave and after Rob, then I'll be in the pulpit for a week, and then Pastor John comes back. I think an email went out this week about PJ's schedule, and I'm just so excited to see him. Um, pray for him. He's a little nervous. It makes sense, right? You know, you've been out of the pulpit for a few months, and, you know, it's, but it's like riding a bike, PJ. You'll be fine. Um, and I, I think the other thing I'd want you to know, a couple things, is I'm, I'm ready for a break. And let me explain. It's only been 10 weeks since Pastor John's retired. This is the 10th weekend since PJ's moved to Oregon. Um, I don't know if it seems quicker than that or longer than that. It seems like a long time. Um, and every week I'm excited to prepare a message for you, and every week God apparently has a message for me in, in pre- preparing. And, I, and I'm like, Lord, isn't there just something for them? Why does it always have to be for me when I prepare? And um, God just has a great message for us uh, this morning. And the, the last thing I want you to hear is um, talking about it being 10 weeks. My wife and I, she was here at the 9 a.m. service, um, just want to say thank you so much. You guys have loved us so well. We are so thankful to have you as our friends, just as our friends. Um, to have you as our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, means so much. And it's very humbling and quite oftentimes overwhelming to be considered your pastor, a pastor, and to be your pastor. It's, it's, um, it's incredibly humbling, honestly. And uh, thank you so much. We've enjoyed it. And um, I, I, there are just times I'm just in shock that God has placed us here and um, it's just a great church. And so we're so thankful for you guys. So um, God has a good word. I hope you guys are ready. So, a Sunday school lesson out of something called the Sunday School Times. Didn't even know they made one of those. 
says this, Sometimes we are helped by being hurt. A skilled physician about to perform a delicate operation upon the ear of a patient said reassuringly to the patient these words. The physician said, I may hurt you, but I will not injure you. I may hurt you, but I will not injure you. How often our great physician speaks to us this very same message, if we would only listen. A richer life, a more abundant spiritual health for every child of his is his only purpose. Why defeat that purpose? Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 60. Anybody get a chance to read Psalm 60? Yeah? It's, it's an interesting psalm. Wow, what a wrestling match this week it was. What a joy. Psalm 60. Let's read Psalm 60 and then we're going to pray. Psalm 60, verse 1. Oh God, you have rejected us. You've broken us. You have been angry. Restore us. You have made the land quake. You have split it open. Heal its breaches, for it totters. You have made your people experience hardship. You have given us wine to drink that makes us stagger. You have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth. That your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand and answer us. Verse 6, God spoke, and here's what He said. In His holiness, He spoke. He says, I will exult. I will portion out Shechem and measure out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet of my head. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my washbowl. Over Edom I shall throw my shoe or my sandal. Shout loud, O Philistia, because of me. Who will bring me into the besieged city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have not you yourself, O God, rejected us? And will you not go forth with our enemies, O God? O God, give us help against the adversary, for deliverance by man is in vain. Through God we shall do valiantly. And it is He who will tread down our adversaries. Let's pray. Lord, it is through you and you alone that we can and shall do valiantly. And so, Lord, we pray that we can move ourselves aside and allow you to do your work in us, that we may do valiant works for you. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. A summary of Psalm 60. The Psalm of David... This psalm of David, Psalm 60, is dated from the time of the Syro-Ammonitish War, when David waged war with Aram Naharim, northern Mesopotamia area, and Aram Zoba, which is northeast of Damascus. In the process of experiencing triumph and progress in the north part of the kingdom, the Edomites in the south had invaded their land. Lacking troops, this new war jeopardized all the results that they had gained recently in the north. From this psalm, it appears that they have suffered a military defeat at the hands of Edom and complain that God has abandoned them. David dispatched Joab, the leader of his army, and Joab and part of the army 
headed to go do battle with Edom in the Valley of Salt, which is south of the Dead Sea. They asked God to change his attitude and once more defeat the enemies that were before them. The Edomites were descendants of Esau, and their country, Edom, was the mountainous region just south of Judah. This outspoken psalm clearly reveals the psalmist's honest reality. God is angry, but it is time for him, the psalmist says, to lay aside his anger. The people's world is shaken by the Lord's apparent abandonment of his people. The psalmist prays, therefore, somewhat boldly. In the psalm, he offers no penitence, and he asks for no mercy, but only for God's strong help. And he quotes a familiar oracle in the middle of the psalm, declaring that all of Palestine is God's, to be divided as he wishes. Everything belongs to him. Like me, you may have heard that life is a bit like a war, during which you and I experience many battles. A pastor friend of mine says this, listen, he says, we were made by God and for God. We were made by God and for God. And until we figure that out, life's not going to make much sense. Life is a series of problems or battles. Either you're in one now, you're just coming out of one, or you're getting ready to go into another one. The reason for this is that God is interested more in our character than our comfort. He's more interested in our character than He is our comfort. He's more interested in making our life holy than He is in making our lives happy. We can be reasonably happy on earth, but that's not the goal of the Christian life. The goal is to grow in Christian character, in Christ-likeness. I think at times we improperly characterize the Lord as being either nice Lord or mean Lord. In reality, we need to recognize and remember that God is good. God at His core is good. And some of the things that He does in our lives might seem mean or not so mean. But regardless, whatever He does stems from His goodness. Luke 18, verse 19 says this, Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. So there's two things he's saying. One, no one's good except God. God is good. And the second thing he says is, if you see that I'm good, then you recognize that I am God in the flesh. God is good to us. John, in 1 John, had some important things to say about God as well. He says that God is love, but he also says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The fact that God is light directs our attention to the goodness of God and to His opposition of anything and everything that is evil. It is in God's goodness that He deals with us. It is in God's goodness that He shapes us, that He leads us, that He stretches us, and that He hurts us, but He never injures us. It is in His goodness that He keeps eternity in mind as we sometimes struggle to walk through life and make sense of a temporary existence. The Word of God, we're not going to turn there, but the Word of God through the prophet Joel called people to turn back to Him to find His mercy. And then to the assurance of that mercy was added the hope of greater things that God in His goodness would do for His people. He would pour out His Holy Spirit freely on His people out of His goodness. 
These words of promise from Joel chapter 2, verse 28, are found in Peter's sermon at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where God, indeed, out of His goodness, poured out His Spirit on His church. The fulfillment of the Lord's promise made by Joel reveals the great assurance that God makes His home in the midst of His people and that those who turn to Him will never be ashamed. In Matthew, Jesus warns us, church, of our sin when we do not trust in His goodness. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. To Jesus' warning when we don't trust in His goodness. Matthew 6, starting at verse 25. Matthew 6, starting at verse 25. My heading over that verse says the cure for anxiety. I'm sure none of you get anxious. It's probably just me. But in case you do, please follow. Verse 25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Verse 27, And who of you, by, by being worried, can add a single hour to your life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, that they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You and I of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? The Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself each day has enough trouble of its own. Going back to Psalm 60, we see adversaries, and the word adversary or adversaries is used twice in Psalm 60. In these 12 verses, we see these adversaries as part of Israel's past, we see these adversaries as part of their present, and we see adversaries as part of their future in Psalm 60. Clearly, this is just another glimpse of how life is especially as followers of Christ, full of battles. We have battles in our past. We have battles in our present. And I can promise you, you will have battles in your future. What are we prepared to do in those battles? In our battles, it oftentimes seems or feels that God is simply not present. But do you know in these 12 verses of past current and future battles, God is mentioned 32 times in these 12 verses. Almost three times per verse. The good news, God is always present in our battles. Always. My outline. 
verses 1 through 5, silent but present. God sometimes seems or is silent, but He's always present. God is clearly in command in verses 6, 7, and 8. And moving forward, God wants us to live valiantly, not vainly. In verses 9, 10, 11, and 12. The big idea for today's message is this. The Lord has given us a banner, a signal of His presence and a pledge of victory in all the battles we face. What I love about worship, and it's a great way to start, is it gets us focused as a church. In corporate worship, it gets us focused on the right banner. It gets us grounded again, and we focus on God and get our focus off of ourselves. That's what's so great about worship. It's just not a quiet time. It's getting us focused on the banner, God's presence, and His pledge of victory. So the first outline point, silent but present. Let's reread verses 1 through 5. Silent but present. Verse 1. Oh God, you have rejected us, broken us. You appear angry. Please restore us. Verse 2. You have made the land quake. You have split it open. Heal its branches for it totters. You have made your people experience hardship. You have given us wine to drink that makes us stagger. But you have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth, that your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand and answer us. So let's kind of break down some of these verses. In verse 1, three things on the negative side. It says that God has rejected them, that God has broken them, and that God is angry with them. Rejected means this. It's the sense that the Lord does not accept us does not acknowledge us in that He's totally absent. We've had those moments, I'm sure, in our walk with the Lord where we feel unaccepted, unacknowledged, and we feel that God is absent. Broken in verse 1 means being defeated, losing the battle that is before us. We've had those emotions or those experiences as well. And then angry. It's God. It, it, what's described here is a strong feeling of God really disliking something about His people or about a situation. And it's an act of turning away. In verse 2 it says that the earth quakes and is split open. God's rejection resulted in a military defeat in the south, which the psalmist describes as an earthquake that breaks down the city's defenses. And God is, uh, is being asked to repair those breaches in His army in the south. Verse 3, it says that God has brought hardship and the people stagger. Hardship is just something that causes or contains suffering. And then the wine and the staggering means this. It's symbolic of a cup of judgment or divine punishment by the Lord. But in verse 1, He says, Restore, O God, at the end. And restore means be present again, God. Be present. Return. To, turn back to us. Be gracious to us again. Verse 4 and 5. David, here's what's great. 1, 2, and 3 are pretty hard. And then in verse 4, David, like that, he says, You have given a banner to those who fear you, that your beloved may be delivered. In verse 5. Hear this. David, in his adversity was as devout as David was in his prosperity. David in his adversity is no different than David in his prosperity. I can only hope and pray that the same is true for us. 
He points out that God has given them a banner, which is a signal of His presence in their midst. And it was a pledge of victory over their enemies. And then His right hand in verse 5 represents God's power. It's where Christ happens to sit at the right hand of the Father. We're going to talk more a little bit later about God's banner. Let's read verses 6, 7, and 8. God has spoken in His holiness. He says, I will exalt. I will portion out Shechem and measure out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet of my head. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my washbowl. Over Edom I shall throw my shoe or my sandal. Shout loud, O Philistia, because of me. It's an interesting transition from verse 5 because verse 5 says, Answer us, O God, and that's exactly what God does. He answers. And in these verses 6, 7, and 8, they're God's response to the anguished prayer of His people. God proclaims His victory and His dominion over everything, over all countries, especially the enemies of His people, Israel. God speaks and reminds the people of His promises. He speaks of how He divided the land among His people, reminding them that all of it, all of it, belongs to Him. The Lord speaks harshly of the enemies who attack Israel, for both Edom and Moab were known for their arrogance towards Israel. But in God's eyes, Moab in these verses was nothing but a basin used for washing dirty feet. And Edom was a servant who cleaned dirty shoes or dirty sandals. As for Israel's perpetual enemy, the Philistines, he says God will raise a shout of victory over them. The Philistines had oppressed Israel during several periods of their history and become the stereotypical enemy of Israel. Both Saul and David made a name or reputations for themselves by defeating the Philistines. And it seems that each of us probably has a perpetual enemy in our lives as well. Some enemies come and go, but others seem to linger throughout our lifetimes. It just seems to be the way life is sometimes. It's just like when Paul asked to have his thorn removed from his flesh, and God said, no, in your weakness I am made strong. But the Lord has promised us victory over all of our enemies the ones that come and go, and the perpetual enemies that keep trying to show up in our lives. I have some enemies, I think, things that I wrestle with that just won't go away until the day I die. Just things that just we've, I've battled with for years. Whatever that might be, we all have them. The third outline point, live valiantly, not vainly. Live valiantly, not vainly. Let's read 9, 10, 11, and 12. Who will bring me into the besieged or the protected city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have not you yourself, O God, rejected us? And will you not go forth with our armies, O God? Give us help against the adversary. For deliverance by man is in vain. Through God, through God, through God, we shall do valiantly. And it is He who will tread down our adversaries. In verses 9 and 10, through those four rhetorical questions, the psalmist acknowledged that the Lord the one who seems to have rejected them in the first three verses would indeed lead them to victory. But because human effort is futile, David prayed that God would give them aid against the enemy. 
confident that with God, victory was theirs. From this psalm, it is very clear that victory or defeat belongs to the Lord and to no one else. These closing verses and this final prayer for God's help reveal that human help is worthless and that victory is achieved only with God's help. It closes, it says in verse 12, Through God we shall do valiantly. What that means is we shall have victory. We shall win the battles. We shall have triumph in our lives. Victory in our lives over anything and everything. Through God we shall do valiantly literally means that we will obtain and have and show strength. Through God we can do all things and we shall have strength. In contrasting the help of God with man, David employs a language to indicate that there's no such thing as a power of man to deliver anyway, at all. That's what David is saying. But in our ignorance, and perhaps sometimes in our stubbornness, uh, stubbornness, we conceive as if there were various kinds of help in the world. But this is a false idea. This is a false reality. God, in accomplishing our preservation, He may use the agency of man, but He reserves it to Himself as His peculiar prerogative to deliver Him. And He will not allow the agency of man to rob Him of His glory. Can I get an amen? The deliverance which comes to us through human agency, must properly always be ascribed to God. Any confidences not deriving from God are worthless and vain. Hear this. We, church, are not at liberty to share the honor of success with God. We are not at liberty to share the honor of success with God. The big idea will show up again. The Lord's given us a banner, a signal of His presence, and a pledge of victory in all the battles we face. What God did for them by giving them a banner as a pledge of temporal advancement in that moment, He has done for His people over all the ages to assure them and us of success in all of our spiritual battles and warfare. Indeed, the church has a warfare to maintain. We, church, capital C, the church globally, not the church, the rock, little c, the big church, globally. The church has a warfare to maintain. If human prowess alone were considered, it shall be a warfare in which we have not the slightest chance of success. One of the Old Testament names given to the Lord is Yahweh or Jehovah Nisi. Yahweh Nisi. Has anybody heard of that name? Yahweh Nisi. What does it mean? It means the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nisi. It is the name that Moses called on when he built an altar and celebrated Israel's God-given victory over the Amalekites. God is our banner. Exodus 17, if you want to look at that later. Isaiah also uses the term Yahweh, Nisi, when speaking of the coming Messiah, who is to be the conqueror, suggesting that the people should rally around God as an army gathers around its standard, because it is He, Christ, who leads us to victory. 
turn a little bit to your right from Psalms and go to Isaiah chapter 11 to see what we're talking about. Isaiah 11, verse 10. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, speaking of Christ, who will stand as a signal. In your notes, it probably says standard, which means banner. Who will stand as a banner for us, the people. And his resting place will be glorious. What are the banners that the Lord has given to us as His people? The first one we just pointed out is the elevation of His Son, Jesus Christ. That is our first banner that the Lord has provided for His people. Turn to Numbers towards the beginning of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Numbers chapter 21. We may know the story of the bronze serpent in chapter 21 of Numbers. Verse 6, The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, because we have spoken against the Lord, and you intercede with the Lord, please, that He may remove the serpents from us. Moses interceded for the people. Verse 8, Then the Lord said to him, to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who was bitten, when he looks at it, will live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any person, when they looked to the bronze serpent, they lived. Well, that doesn't just stop there. It continues in John chapter 3. Go to the New Testament and look at John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. To further understand that Christ is our banner. John 3, verses 14 and 15. In verse 14, Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent, In the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that every one of us who believes in Him will have eternal life. The ultimate victory. The ultimate battle. Jesus now sits at the right hand of God where we find His power, His protection, His blessing, and His victory. If we remember Christ one way, this way, in the manger, struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the cross or in the grave, you may be tempted to declare, no hope, not much of a banner. But if we can remember Christ this way, having risen, having ascended to heaven, having been glorified and in full possession of His kingdom, sitting at the right hand of God, we shall declare, what a great banner. And there is nothing but hope. Imagine the change that awaits you and I as His triumphs are a pledge of our own triumphs. Imagine the change for you and I that awaits us when we recognize that His triumphs are a pledge of our triumphs. 
Let me explain that in Ephesians 1. Go to Ephesians 1, 18, 19, and 20, just to the right of John. After 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. The Lord's triumphs are a pledge of our triumphs. Chapter 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, church, so that you will know something. You will know what is the hope of His calling, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in us. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power, His power, toward who? Toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength um, I got lost. The strength of His might. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Oh, oh, what a banner. That's the first banner. Christ, clearly. There's another banner that Scripture talks about. Turn to Hebrews 11 and 12, just a little bit to the right of Ephesians. You'll find Hebrews. After First and Second Timothy and Titus and Philemon, you'll find Hebrews. Let's start at, let's start at chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Here's the second banner. We have Christ as our banner, clearly. And the second one? is what's called the cloud of witnesses, our predecessors, the people that have gone before us, the heroes of the faith that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. But let's start in chapter 12. Therefore, church, and he just got done talking about this, what what I call the hall of fame, people of the faith in chapter 11, right? In chapter 12, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Let us lay aside every encumbrance, the sin which entangles us so easily, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us, doing what? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, our banner. So the banner of our predecessors and the banner of Christ. Let's look in chapter 11. You can can read all of 11 on your own, but in chapter 11, let's start at verse 32. What What did some of these people do for their faith? How did God pull them through? Starting in verse 32 of chapter 11. He mentions all these people in the first 31 verses. And he says, what more shall I say? I don't have time. For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. There's many more people I can tell you about, church. Verse 33. These people, by faith, conquered kingdoms. They performed acts of righteousness. They obtained promises. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness they were made strong. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they may obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy." wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Another banner. 
in our lives, these people, our heroes in the faith. So here's some tough questions considering these two banners, what Christ went through and what our predecessors went through, these cloud of witnesses. Here's some questions. Are our trials heavier than theirs? Is the power that was sufficient for them withheld from us? Will not faith bring omnipotence to our support as it did for them? They, in Scripture, have been set before us as a banner expressly for our encouragement that we, seeing how they have succeeded, might be stirred to do exactly the same. Are you weak? So were they. Are your enemies numerous and mighty? So were theirs. Did they prevail through the grace of God? That same grace shall be sufficient for you and for me, as 2 Corinthians 12.9 declares. Our Lord is the same gracious and almighty friend as ever. Time has made no change in Him whatsoever. As He was mighty in them, so will He also be mighty in us and in you. So why? Why has the Lord given us these banners? Hear this, to assure us, to assure us of His faithfulness to us and to confirm that we can have confidence back in Him. To assure us of His faithfulness to us and to confirm our confidence in Him. To assure us of victory over all of our enemies, all of our enemies. With men, a banner is only a signal to enlist them for combat. But with God, it's a pledge of victory. In consideration of these valiant banners, Christ and this cloud of witnesses, what banners do you and I erect in vain? We need to erect valiant banners, not banners that are in vain. What banners get in the way of us leaning and looking to God? Our common sense? Our willpower? Our net worth? Our good looks? Our income? Our social network? Our nice home? Our advanced degrees? Our title at work? Our past accomplishments? Our spouse? Our children? Our families? Our friendships? Our possessions? our notoriety, our sense of humor, our physical condition, our pride in ourself and whatever we think we are. So I shared this with the first two verses because when I was preparing this at the very, very end, that was one of the last things I added to the message. And I thought I was good. I list all these things. I thought, okay, that's some pretty good examples, right? And then God says, well, what about your banners, Pastor Mark? So um, pastors have banners. They're not good. We all have banners, right? So I'm, I'm as guilty as a lot of other pastors. So some of the banners, three things came up for me. And I hope it's okay to be honest, right? Um, this is week 10 of a, of a transition. And I shared last service. I said, you know, when you transition from one senior pastor to another, I don't know when that ends. I don't know when the transition is over. It was cute. After the 9 a.m., some of the men that were over in the prayer corner, they called me over. They said, we're declaring that the transition's over. And I said, I need a banner. I need a banner so I can put it in my office. The transition is over. Anyway, I don't know when it ends, right? But whenever it ends is whenever it ends. But nonetheless, here are three banners that pastors put up, and I'm guilty of all three. And um, 
The Lord's really been showing that to me over the last couple of weeks, but especially this week. We, um, we worry or we place a banner of attendance. Was the attendance good? Oh, good. Then I'm okay, Lord. That's a banner. That makes sense, right? Especially in a transition, right? What about the offering? Was the offering good? Okay, then that, that banner's secure, right? And then the other banner is, you know, gosh, enough people say, wow, that was a really good message. That really spoke to me. And if I hear that enough times, I'm good, right? The attendance is good. The cash is good. I got enough attaboys. I'm out of here. I'm good. It's just bad. It's just so... I, I have a pastor's peer group that I meet with, me and four other pastors. We meet once a month, and we're meeting on Tuesday, and they're asking me how it's going. And I... I <laughs> I brought up some of those things. I didn't really think I was making that big a deal. And Pastor Glenn, I've known for 15 years, and um, he called me out, man. And he, he hit me between the eyeballs. And he says, you've got to repent of that stuff, man. And he's right. So I did, and I will continue to do so. So banners, right? We get it. We all have those banners. But I want us, church, please, 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 I, you, us, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Nisi, may he and he alone be our banner. Yes, him and him alone. We turn to a lot of things, but it's in vain that we turn to anything other than the banner of Christ. Let me close with this story. If you hear this story, it can change your life. If you hear this story the way it's meant to be heard, this can change your life. I hope you hear it. It was advertised in a particularly large city that a great violinist would play on a violin that was worth thousands upon thousands of dollars. And the theater was packed. Many were curious and wanted to hear such an expression, I'm sorry, such an expensive instrument being played. And so all the curious came and the violinist went on stage and he played flawlessly and beautifully. Suddenly, when he was done, he threw the violin on the floor and began to stomp on it crushing it to pieces and walked off the stage. The people were shocked. The stage manager came out and reassured everyone that the violinist did not really use the violin that was worth thousands and thousands of dollars. It was worth about 20 bucks. He would now come back out and play on the very expensive violin. And so he did. He played and he played. Almost nobody could tell the difference. He simply wanted to show that it was the violinist rather than the violin that makes the music. In the master's hands, even a $20 fiddle can make good music. Some of us feel like a $5 fiddle, a 50-cent fiddle, a $20 fiddle, whatever it is. But God can do beautiful music through that, through us and through you. What a great story. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray this out with Psalm 66, the first five verses. And of course, when I'm done, our prayer team will be to my left and to your right. I love this church. I'm so thankful for you guys. I'm so humbled to be here. Psalm 66, let's pray. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works because of the greatness of your power. Your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. 
come and see the works of God, who is awesome in his deeds toward us, the sons of men. And everybody said, Amen. I will see you guys in two weeks. Have a great, great rest of the weekend.